0: Listen, I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen, if you don't mind it, you can repeat after me real quickly. Say, Father God, Father God I'm here today, here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you said that prayer, it doesn't matter what you We're going through before you walk through these doors. You're here for one purpose and one purpose only. It doesn't matter who invited you or who didn't invite you, who came with you or who didn't come with you. You're here for one purpose and one purpose alone. And that purpose is to hear a tangible word from God that you can somehow apply in your life. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's find ourselves to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Uh, and if you don't mind, if you can show me that you got it by standing to your feet, Jonah chapter four. Ben, happy birthday, Ben. Ben is a light that keeps us shining. Amen. Amen. I am so excited. I thought Ben was gonna show out a little bit on the drums for his birthday. He kind of stayed in the pocket today. <laughs> That's all right. We gonna we gonna get him to cut loose a little bit. Ben, needs to take it right. Ben, they say take it, man. Well, do your thing, Ben. Show out a little bit. Help him out there, McDuffie, man. Get him get him something, man. This is his birthday. Come on, ben. Does Ben need to go to church or something? Come on, Ben. We can break away from the norm for a time. Ben, let's go, Ben. Hey, ben. That's that birthday boy right there. Oh, he's warming up now. He's warming up now. All right, y'all got y'all stop showing up. Come on, let's give Ben a huh? happy birthday, Ben. We love you, man. Listen, Jonah chapter four. Jonah chapter four, beginning at verse one. When you got it, say I got it. Listen, if God has given you the activity of your limbs and you don't mind, now show me a little love and show God love for the word that he's left us so that we can live the life that he's asked us to live. And just stand to your feet for a brief second longer. I won't hold you long. Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Amen? Amen. This is what the Bible says. It says, but it greatly deple- displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord. Was not this what I said while I was sitting in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents, Concerning calamity. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. Then the Lord said, do you have a reason to be angry? For a moment today, I want to lift up this text and simply title it, Abolishing Anger. You may be seated. Abolishing Anger. Listen, we've been in a series uh, entitled Emotional Wreck, hence the emojis that are all on the wall. If you're visiting with us for the very first time, I'm glad that you came. If you could fill out one of those blue visitation cards that's on the back of the seat in front of you and simply just drop it in the offering basket as we leave, it allows us to get connected with you and get to know you better. But hopefully, I can catch you up on where we are currently in this series. Emotional Wreck is a series that is designed to challenge us to not only identify our emotional issues, but to learn how to control our emotional states. Believe it or not, your emotions can get you in a whole bunch of trouble. Sometimes you're happy, and because of it, you make certain decisions, sometimes you're sad. And are depressed, and because of it, you make certain decisions. And even sometimes you're angry, and because of it, you make certain decisions. We should not base our decisions and our actions on our emotions. Why? Because emotions change, they're not stable, they're wishy washy. And as a result of it, this is why some of us post stuff on Facebook one minute and 10 minutes later when somebody trying to like it is deleted and is sending a message saying, oh, well, this message is no longer available because your emotions have caused you to remove what you put out. You can do that on Facebook, but you can't do that in life. When you say things that you don't mean to say, when you do things that you really don't mean to do, you can't just go back and say, I'm sorry or apologize. And it washes the state clean, the slate clean. And so, this is why we're in a position now where we want to talk about our emotions and what's the damage that can happen as a result of our emotions. This is a four week series. We led off in week one, and we led off with fighting frustration, understanding how frustrated it can be when God calls us to do certain things and we don't want to do it. We understand that how frustrating it can be in our marriages, in our relationships, and on our jobs when someone is not working with us where we feel like the odds are against us or if somebody wants to hurt us. We understand that frustration is a major emotion that can lead to major problems. Why? Because it was in Jonah 1 when God, told, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh in the first place, and he was frustrated with the call that God had placed on his life, and so Jonah decides because he's frustrated What he wants to do is flee rather than fight. That's real big, and it's something for us to understand. Why? Because when we're frustrated, we never want to see the problem through. When we're frustrated, we just go into this self-preservation mode that says, let me look out for myself. This is why so many people are divorced, because when they get frustrated in their marriage, they don't try to work it out. They don't try to figure it out. They just say, let me look out for me. When we get frustrated on my job, we say, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. Let me find me something else. We don't know that our blessing is just on the other side. But because we don't want to fight through it, we get frustrated and flee. Then we went on to week two, Jonah chapter two, and we understood that not only do we fight frustration, but when we deal with fighting frustration, it leads us to a point of depression sometimes. Because of the decisions that we make, we find ourselves trying to defend off depression we're trying to defeat depression within our lives because what happens because jonah chapter one he was disobedient he fled from the presence of god he ended up having to suffer the consequences which put him in a position that we know that he was found in the belly of a great fish and here he was in the belly of the great fish we know jonah stayed there how many days three days Now, Jonah did not stay there three days because God wanted him to stay there three days. It took three days for Jonah to do what God was waiting on him to do. Jonah decided on the third day that he was going to stop pouting and he was going to start praising. Jonah decided on the third day that he was going to stop pouting and he was going to begin praying. See, we come to understand the best way to defeat depression is to start by praying, not focusing on your problem, but focusing on God's power. We come to realize that We have to get to a point when things and the odds are against us. We can't just sit down and keep complaining. It's like being in an eight-foot ditch and you're steady throwing dirt on top of yourself instead of trying to come out. I don't know about you, but I don't want to dig my own grave. I want to find a way to get over my obstacles. I want to find a way to break through the challenges that come to me day in and day out. And so we learned in Jonah chapter 2 exactly how to defeat depression. We understood that... That prayer is a form of worship. It's an actual powerful form of worship. I believe the old saints used to say, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power, much prayer, much power. And I believe if some of us begin to pray a little bit more, not just when we're looking for something from God, but if we begin to take the time and actually communicate with God on a daily basis, and not just about what we need, but about what we're thankful for, we can put ourselves in a position to experience more from God than we've ever experienced before. This is why Big Mama used to just tell us, just pray about it, baby. I know we didn't want Big Mama to tell us to pray about it. We wanted Big Mama to reach into that bank account or or dig up under that mattress and pull that extra money out. I know you've been hiding all your life. Uh, I want you to bail me out of this situation, Big Mama. I'm not trying to pray about it. I don't have to call God for what you can handle. This is the problem in many of our lives. We depend on people instead of on God. People can never help you out of your issue. This is why some of us the best thing to do when you're mad at your relationship, that's the time to delete your Facebook. Amen. Because you'll put something out there that you don't need to put out there. Uh, that's the time when, when you're upset with what's going on on your job, you need to just take a time out. You don't need to be gossiping with coworkers. Because there's some things that you can say that can turn around and bite you on the latter end. And so sometimes we have to realize that when we're in, depre- when we're in a depressed state, the only person that we can talk to is God. Jonah could have been stuck in that fish way longer than three days, but the crazy thing is the minute that he prayed and praised, the minute that he gave God honor for what he had done and began to commit and say, God, I'm with you no matter what. From this point on, the Bible says that God commanded, he told that fish to spit him up. He told that fish to spit him up. And we, and just for a caveat, just to add something on, a little cherry on top, uh, we talked about, and this pastor does a little research, we talked about is it really feasible that a fish could hold somebody for, for three days? And, and, and we did some research, and, and we found there is a fish that exists in our time now and called a shark whale that's big enough. Matter of fact, it's the greatest fish. In the ocean, I thought it was a whale, but th- no, it's the shark whale that's the greatest fish in the ocean, and it's uniquely designed in a manner that can hold what it doesn't want in one p- compartment of its stomach and hold what it does want in another part. And, the, and, and history and, and what our study shows that that fish by itself decides that it can spit up what's on the inside of them because it decided not to digest them. So I can see how God can uniquely position us not only in the belly of a great fish, but in situations in our lives that seems like it's going to be the death of us, that seems like it's going to be the end of us, but it's just temporarily holding us, actually protecting us until the appropriate time to release us back into what we're supposed to be doing. I, I know there's some people right now that's complaining about the fish that God is holding you in. You're complaining about the place where God is holding you. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't smell right. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I'm looking for. This is not what I'm desiring. But what we have to do is get to a point where we stop focusing on what's going on around us and focus on who's going to be able to bring us out of it. So week two, we learned about how to defeat depression. Then we went on to week three. Some great things that happened in week three because... Jonah wasn't an issue anymore. Jonah had gotten his mind right, and as a result of it, he becomes an ambassador for God. He becomes a mouthpiece for God. He's a prophet with an assignment to go tell a group of people what it is that they need to do so that they don't fall into the same type of situation, so that they don't experience the wrath of God in their life. And so we titled week three, Counseling Confusion, because we know that the way that the enemy works is he seeks to cause confusion and division within our lives, on our jobs, and our marriages, and our finances. He wants to just riffle and disrespect and destroy everything. By Why do we know this? Because the Bible itself says that God is not the author of confusion. So if God is not the author of confusion, where does confusion come from? Well, we can check the devil's track record. He's been causing confusion and chaos since the beginning of time. He decided to smell himself as Big Mama would say while he was up in heaven and didn't want to do what God asked him to do and as a result of it, he gets kicked out but not only he leaves but a third of the angels in heaven have to leave with him Then that wasn't good enough. He decided to find his way in the Garden of Eden and when he found his way in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to manipulate man and woman to disobeying what God asked him to do. Confusion is on the scene again. If that was wasn't good enough. Then here it was, the firstborn sons. He decided to cause confusion between the firstborn sons. One ends up killing the other, Cain and Abel. The enemy has been causing confusion since the beginning. So when you see confusion in your marriage, it's not nothing special about you. He's just trying to destroy you simply because he knows that God has called you and created you to be his replacement, has created you to be the closest one in a relationship to him, to be closer than even angels themselves. But you have to understand that every every person that has a responsibility has a hater. Every person that has somebody that has something of value associated with them, you're going to have some haters. Uh, I remember a good comedian once say, you need to thank God for your haters. There's nothing wrong with having a few haters because it reminds you that, you know what, you are on the right track. As long as people are talking about me, as long as people are putting me down, as long as people are wishing the bad for me, wishing the bad for my marriage, wishing the bad for my finances, wishing the bad for my church, the ministry, whatever it is, I don't care. Keep talking because as long as... As you're talking, I'm doing what God has asked me to do. I should be concerned when you stop talking because that means that obviously I'm the one talking with you about somebody else now. So I'm celebrating my haters on today because of the fact that God is steady trying to elevate me to a new level higher than I've ever been before. And so here it is that the, the, the Jonah comes and he says, listen, the devil is trying to destroy y'all. And the devil is trying to destroy y'all because y'all are doing what y'all are not supposed to be doing. Y'all worshiping false, false gods. Y'all in here disrespecting God, doing everything that y'all want to do, however y'all want to do. And he says to them, listen, if you want to see something change in your life right now, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to give your life to God. You're going to have to make a change. The Bible says that the only way that you counsel out confusion, it showed us in the text, is that the way that you counsel out confusion is to understand that you need communication and cooperation. Arguing within your household ain't going to fix your marriage. Fighting with your boss on your job ain't going to get you a raise. Communication and cooperation is the keys to what we needed to understand that how do I counsel the confusion within my life. Uh, We come to understand when we look at communication, it's important to understand communication not from the point that some of us just think we know what it is, but how communication is truly outlined. Communication is a principle that reminds us what? To listen to learn, not listen to lash out. Many of us don't have the understanding that we should listen and in, in, in our listening, we should do so to learn. I know I told you all about it in my earlier stage of my marriage, when my wife would talk to me, my spirit would already have its fist up. All you got to do is say the wrong word the moment you stop talking. i'm lashing out at you because all I hear is what's coming out of your mouth if something's wrong with me. But the intent was never to demean me; it was to build me up to correct to 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 remove confusion from our relationship so we get to the point where we have to understand when we're truly communicating we're listening to learn not to lash out and then once we develop the aspect of communication then we get to the position of cooperation because in Nineveh they had cooperation they understood that God communicated to them exactly what it is that the problem was and as a response they wanted to do something about it. What was their cooperation? It came in three forms. First form was humility the second form came after humility was what? They came to a position where who? Sacrifice. They, they were humble and then they sacrificed. And the a result of them humbling themselves and sacrifice, they did what? They became dedicated to the process. See, this is the problem where many of us mess up. We're not humble enough to try to work together. And not only that fact, but because we can't be humble enough, we don't know how to sacrifice. We don't want to give up what we want to give. We want to We want it to work as long as somebody's going to do it our way. We're not trying to do it their way. But then it gets to the point where we have to be dedicated to the process. Why? Because if we do it temporary, the outcome is only going to last temporary. But if we are dedicated to it, then the change will be a dedicated change. I just wanted to catch our visitors up because here we are in week four. Jonah chapter four, abolishing anger. Anger is a major issue within the Bible. I believe in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, be angry, but sin not. If I had to use a scripture to to throw me an alley-oop for this text today, that would be the text because of the fact that anger, the problem with anger is not the emotion, not that we feel angry, not that we get upset. The problem with anger is that it leads to us doing what we should not do. Be angry, but sin not. Many of us have not developed an understanding of what it means to be angry, but sin not. See, anger means I got to whoop somebody. Anger means I got to use a bunch of four-letter words that I don't want my kids using. Anger means that I need to make sure everybody in the world knows how I feel about a situation. Anger means it's just time to turn up and pop off. Just, that is just it is what it is. That's what anger is. But the whole point of anger is to experience something but not act on it. I want you to understand something every time you think about you getting angry. How many times do you think God has been angry with you? How many times did you wake up and you do what you're not supposed to do and God was angry with you? What if God acted on it and whooped you every time he was angry? What if every time you displeased God, you put him in a position that he did not want to be in, you totally disobeyed everything that he asked you to do? What if he acted on it right then and there? Look at what happened in Nineveh. God was already angry with the people of Nineveh, but he hadn't instilled there was a measure of grace. He sent word to them that if you don't fix it, then something is going to happen. Often too much, we make decisions when we're angry. When things don't go our way, we make that split-second decision that changes everything. And the problem is that following our anger comes this friend, Ego. Because after we're angry, what happens is that even when we realize we make a mistake, we don't want to go back and fix it. Because then that means I have to say, I'm wrong. We don't want to put ourselves in a position to say I'm wrong. So how do we abolish anger? Jonah chapter 4 teaches us a lot within this text because what's happening now, Jonah has done everything that God has asked him to do. He's, he's moved on behalf of Nineveh. Nineveh has done what they're supposed to do but now Jonah is upset. He's angry. He's so angry that he leaves the city and goes outside of the city, positions himself on a hill so that he can look down on the people in the city because he's upset that the fact that God made him go through all of this to get here to rescue them when he knew that God was going to rescue them in the first place. He's so angry that he wishes death upon himself, and as a result of it, God comes to Jonah himself. Now listen, I will play about death with a lot of people, but I ain't going to play with it with God. He looks God and says, listen, I would rather die than live. And God simply asked Jonah, do you have a reason to be angry? Do you have a reason to be angry? This is a question that we all should ask ourselves here today. Do I have a reason to be angry with my life? Do I have a reason to be angry with my marriage? Do I have a reason to be angry with my relationship status? Do I have a reason to be angry with my finances? Do I have a reason to be angry on my job? Do I have a reason to be angry? Because this is the question that God is asking. Do you have a reason to be angry? There's a lot of things that this text teaches us. But one thing that Jonah leads off with teaching me from the beginning is your attitude is a reflection of your gratitude. Your attitude is a reflection of your gratitude. Listen, look what Jonah does within the text. Jonah has disobeyed God all the way up until this point. God still redeems him and pulls him out of his situation, God still chooses to use him for his purpose. He doesn't just say, you know what, forget you. I'm going to find somebody else. And in the midst of God using Jonah, Jonah doing what God has called him to do, he cops an attitude with God and says, you know what? I don't know why you called me in the first place. I would rather die than live here and live for you. I, I would rather that death comes upon me your attitude is a reflection of your gratitude I love my son Uh, but one of the most frustrating things for me is when we go to Walmart and for some reason I don't know why Walmart came up with this genius idea to put toys in a grocery store he loves and he thinks that this is the toys are us he thinks that this is this is the place where we go to buy him a toy I, I go here to get food but he wants to buy toys he gets upset when i go to the green walmarts now instead of the blue walmarts because he understands that there's something different the green ones only serve food daddy the blue ones have toys Every time I go to a Walmart, Isaiah wants a toy. Sometimes my finances ain't right. My money is a little funny. But yet and still, if I can get him something, I want to get him something. And so we go over there and look at it, and he already has his heart set on something. He's flipped through the little Walmart magazines that they send in the mail, the little coupons. He's seen what he wants, and he knows what's on sale. The problem is once we get to Walmart, he sees what he wants, and he will grab it. He will love it. He's excited about it. But guess what he does? He sees something bigger. And as a result of him seeing something bigger, he now wants what's bigger rather than what he came for. Now, I have budgeted for what he asked, but now what he wants costs more. Now what he wants requires more of me. And guess what Isaiah does? He gets ready to clown in Walmart, knowing that it's the wrong place for any kid to show out with any parent is in Walmart. He gets ready to pout and say, well, Daddy, I don't want anything then, Daddy. If you can't give me what I want, I don't want anything. And at that moment, I, I think to myself that your attitude is a reflection of your gratitude because I don't owe you anything. All I have to do is feed you. All I have to make sure is that you have everything that you need. But now you're upset because something extra isn't exactly what you wanted. We should be thankful that God has given us breath and breath alone. We should be thankful that God has given us the activity of whatever limbs that we have. We should be thankful that God has given us loved ones, that God has allowed us to wake up in the morning. We should be thankful for simply what we have. But every morning we wake up, and most of us wake up with something to complain about. We wake up and we're upset because we have to get to work. We wake up and we're upset because we don't have a job. We wake up and upset because we don't have enough money. We wake up and upset because we don't have enough gas. We think of more stuff to complain about than we do to give God credit for whatever it is that he has done within our lives, for whatever decision, for whatever choices that he has made to put us in a position that we're in to do what, we're asking to, what God is asking us to do. Our attitude is a reflection of our gratitude. One of the things that we need to understand, if we truly want to abolish anger within our lives, we need to check our attitudes. We need to check our attitudes and change the way we look at things. I want to make sure that you understand this because Jonah's attitude was all jacked up. God could have made sure he died in the sea. He could have let the the belly of the great fish eat him. But instead, what happens? He says, no, I'm going to still use you in spite of everything that you've done to me. I'm still going to, to, to use you to impact other people's lives. I'm still going to use you to make a difference in other people's lives. And as a result of it, Jonah gets an attitude that shows that he doesn't appreciate him. Amen. It baffles me what Jonah says next because Jonah says, I would rather die than live. I want you to understand the significance of what Jonah is saying when Jonah says, I would rather die. Than live. Matter of fact, it's verse 3 that says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The text is trying to teach us there that death is better than life, but I want to make sure that you understand something. There's nothing better than life except eternal life. We have to remember that death as a representation, as a representation in the text, it is death is your past. And life is your present. I want to bring that to full circle and make sure you understand what that is when we think about death being your past and life being your present. In your life, when things are not working right with you, when you're in a bad relationship, when you're on a bad job, when you're angry, when you're upset, what's the first thing you do? I think back to where I came from. And most of the time, what happens? If I'm in a relationship and I'm not happy in a relationship, what's the first thing that these women say? Fellas, this is just the women. This ain't us. I can do better, but I can do better by myself, or I can do bad by myself. That's the, that's the first thing that come out of. Now, when you were by yourself, you were complaining. You didn't want to be by yourself today. You hated Valentine's Day. You didn't want to be around family on Christmas, because you were by yourself. Everybody else was booed up. But now, because we got a little hard time, you can do bad by yourself. It's not just them. In every aspect of life when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, we wish for death rather than life. It may not be perfect now right where we are, but life is better than death. I would rather be in the current situation I'm in trying to figure it out rather than having to go 100 steps back trying to make right and get back to where I am. Jonah was wishing death. He wanted to go back to who he used to be instead of being who God has called him to be. If we can be honest in here, I believe most of us have, have at one point in time wished for who we used to be rather than who we are called to be. Uh, y'all don't want to be honest. I, I was a happy sinner. I, I wasn't no sad sinner. I didn't, I didn't run to Jesus because things weren't going right for me. I had all the women I could want. I had all the money I could want. I had everything. that I, I, was, I was a happy sinner. I was good with that life. I turned up with the best of them. Club Shea had me a parking spot. That, that was my spot. I I did my thing. And there are moments in my walk with Christ that it gets so difficult. It becomes so challenging. I look back and I'm like, did I really make the right decision? Did I really make the right decision? I have to really catch myself because you know what? If you entertain that thought too long, you will go back to where you came from and forget where God has brought you to. It doesn't matter how tough times are now. I don't never want to be in that situation again. I don't care how bad my marriage is now. I don't want to be single anymore. I, I, I got to figure it out. As long as this is what God has put together, I, I got to find a way to make this work. There's, there's obviously something wrong with either her or me. Most of the time it's her, not me. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I, I have to find a way to figure this out and work this thing because obviously if I'm, I've been excited along the way, the only reason the enemy is trying to confuse me and frustrate me and depress me right now because there's something greater on the other side. This is why we have to get control of our emotions because our emotions keep us from greater. Our emotions will cause us to make decisions that restrict what God is trying to do in our lives, but all the time God is just simply waiting on us to check our emotions before our emotions lead us to a wreck. Jonah teaches me that my attitude is a reflection of my gratitude. He, he reminds me that my past was my death, and I don't need to be worshiping and looking for my death. I need to be focused on my life and getting to where God wanted me to be. I, I don't care how bad things are now. It's only because the enemy is trying to attack me. In the midst of Jonah having a bad attitude, in the midst of Jonah wanting to wish for death, then life, God doesn't oblige Jonah. He simply asked him a question. Verse 4, he says to him, do you have a reason to be angry? Th- this is where I want us to, to hang out for a little while. Because I believe that God asked this question for a strategic reason. He asked this question Because he knew that Jonah had the answer within himself. So the question to us is why was Jonah angry? Why was Jonah angry? I struggled over all the chapters that I was preparing for this message. This is the the one that baffled me the most. I was was looking in the text trying to find just a simple outline, where is it at? But, But God asked them a question, asked Jonah a question. Not they ask Jonah, not that they ask God a question. See, when man asks God a question, I can kind of understand how man thinks. But when God asks man a question, it's a little perplexed. It's it's a little difficult because I know that God has all answers. He knows all things. So I have to dig a little deeper and and make sure that I have the right answer that God is looking for. Why do I want to make sure you understand this? Because if God is asking you a question, that means it's something that you need to examine about yourself. God is not the problem. Many of us are asking God questions when God has already questioned us. You can't answer a question with a question. You have to answer a question with the answer. So what is the issue with Jonah? It took me a minute, but I found it. The problem with Jonah is that Jonah was was, was upset. He was angry because God used him to help somebody else. Man, that might not resonate with you. It may not make a difference. Catch this. God used Jonah to be a blessing so that somebody else can receive a blessing. Many of us are so upset with God because when God works through us and uses us, we see the blessing manifest in someone else's life. But the problem is we don't see it manifest as quickly in our lives. And as a result of it, we get angry we see the fact that somebody else we invited them to church and they're flourishing and getting active in ministry but we don't see the fact that God is still doing some things on the inside of us that as they grow you grow things get better and we get angry we get upset by seeing somebody else blessed this was Jonah's issue He seeing life was working out for somebody else but it wasn't working out for him it didn't look how he wanted it to look God moved on the behalf of the other people. I want you to understand this because we have to fix the way we look at life. Jonah was upset because somebody else was being blessed, and not only that he was being blessed, but they were being blessed through him. I think that we need to realize that Jonah made a big mistake. I can say that Jonah made a big mistake because Jonah went and sat outside of the city when he should have stayed in the city. I began to research texts, checking on other prophets in the Bible who went to different places and shared the gospel, and God moved on the behalf of the people. I had to look at that because I wanted to see if Jonah did the same thing that everybody else did. Catch this. Jonah, when he went and shared the message, he left and went outside the city. Now, when you think about other people within the Bible, other prophets who have shared the gospel, guess what happens? When other prophets share the gospel they shared the message they hung around a little bit and as a result of it whoever was the king or whoever was the head of the house they blessed the prophet for the word of god that was brought to them they blessed them because what had you had done you had saved them from condemnation you have saved them from everything going wrong within their lives and so because of the people were blessed the prophet was blessed let me tell you something jonah forfeited his blessing the moment that he walked outside of the city if god don't ask you to leave You don't leave. Some of us are leaving relationships prematurely. Some of us are leaving jobs prematurely. Some of us are leaving churches prematurely because God has not asked you to leave. And just because things didn't go the way that you want them to go when you wanted them to go... You left before it was your time to left. You left before your blessing. Listen, next month, me and my wife will celebrate 10 years of marriage. My wife had every right to leave in the first four years. I was nowhere near Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus, nor was I living the life of a husband to a wife. She had every reason to check out, but somehow God just equipped her to be able to weather the storm. In her prayer, in her perseverance, in her going through, guess what happened? Something switched. And now she's reaping a harvest for seeds that she sown back then. Most people would have gave up. Most people would have walked off. But because she heard the voice of God tell her to go, stay, sit, don't move, she did exactly what God wanted her to do. And don't think she didn't want to go. Listen, working for God, serving God, living for God is not always going to be fun. It will be hard. There were times when my wife went to her mom and her dad and cried, "Chris ain't doing me right." And I, I love her father-in-law. God rest my father-in-law. God rest his soul. Because I remember one time she went and said, "You, Chris, did this? He's not doing right. I'm going to leave him." And then he tells her, "Listen, this is my man. This is my dude. I love." Him. He says, uh, "Girl, you better sit down and wait for him to get it together. Just sit down and wait for him to get it together." He says, "You don't realize how good he is." He just doesn't know it yet. And the crazy part is just with him saying that one phrase alone, it changed my whole perspective on life. It made me look at myself a little better. But he didn't didn't just cosign and say, yeah, leave, move on, do your thing. He said, listen, if God is not not telling you to move, don't move. Don't get caught up in your feelings. Stop leaving relationships prematurely. This doesn't mean stay in every relationship. When God says go, go, because some of us are staying longer than God has asked us to stay. And as a result of it, we're still going through hell day in and day out. When God is saying, listen, I told you not to marry them in the first place. I told you not to be in this situation. I told you don't join this church, but you did it just because your friend did it. And as a result of it, it's not working out for you. I've told you these things, and now we get upset because things are not going our way. Jonah was mad because somebody else was experiencing a blessing in the same proximity that he was in, but it was not him he was upset because God was utilizing him. And this is what the text teaches us today that we shouldn't be angry when God uses us. In whatever way, in the good times and the bad times, we should not be upset when God uses us cuz listen, storms are meant to lead to stories. We have to go through the storm just to have the story. Listen, when you think about uh, the greatest tornadoes and you think about those stories and them people tell you when a tornado came over their house and it was right over their head and they can hear the tornado, the better that the storm was, the better the story is. The problem is that when we have light storms, little wind, it ain't worth talking about. But when it's a major storm, we can tell a major story. God has a testimony for you through the things that you've been through, to the things that you've overcome, but you have to be willing to go through them just to to get to them. So I want to make sure that you understand what Jonah's issue was so that you can uh, learn how to get past these issues. Jonah had three issues, simply time, talent, and treasure. His issues with God was using his time, talent, and treasure, and you, you probably don't believe me, and that's why I love the Bible, because I can show it all to you in the Bible. The first thing that Jonah had a problem with is that God has used him to bless these other people, and he's used his time. And the problem is we, we've been in church. Anybody been in church, you've heard this saying, time, talent, and treasure. But the thing is, most people have never had it explained to them. It's never really been explained to me. Uh, I, had to, I had to research. I had to plan. I had to prepare. And I come to understand that, that your time is you physically surrendering to God for his determination. As children of God, as servants of God, we have to be willing to physically surrender to God for his determination. Meaning that I have to allow God to use me how he wants to use me when he wants to use me. Jonah issue began in Genesis, I mean Jonah chapter 1 because God called him to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to go. It was going to take Jonah's time. It was taken away from what he wanted to do, where he wanted to go. And so as a result of it, he has an issue with the fact that God wants to utilize him at this moment. I don't want to waste my time on these people. He, he said it in the text. I, I told you that it, when I was back home that you was going to do this, so why did you bring me here in the first place? Jonah feels like what God is calling him to do is a total waste of time. How many times have you been in a relationship you said, I don't want to waste my time? In this relationship, I... I don't want to waste my time with this church. I don't want to waste my time on this job. Time is limited. I, I, I don't want to waste my time. I want you to understand something. And I'll teach you a little bit more about it in a second. But any time that you're serving God, you're not wasting your time. Even when it's in a broken marriage that needs to be repaired. If you're the vessel that God is using to repair that, mess, that marriage, you're not wasting your time. We have to get past the point of thinking that what we're going through is a waste of time. I could sit back and think of a whole lot of things that I would have rather done over the last three years, but I cannot think that what I've gone through and where I am now was a total waste of time from where God wants me to be. I have wasted no time doing what God has asked me to do. You waste time when you're not serving God. You waste time when you're doing things your way. When I want to think about wasted time, I need to think about the, the 26 years or the 25 years that I was doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it before I finally said yes to Jesus. That 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 there is wasted time. I can't get none of that back. That doesn't carry over like college credits. That's just gone. It's, it's wasted. There's nothing that I can do about it. It's out there. and Some of it I'm glad that it's wasted. Some of them I'm, I'm glad that it's gone because... Believe it or not, if some of it had to come with me now, some of you wouldn't be here. And, and so I'm, I'm glad that some of my past is my past. Amen. But any time we're serving God, it's not a waste of time. Jonah didn't only have a problem with God using his time, but he had a problem with God using his talent. He had a problem with God using his talent. And what we need to understand about talent, talent is, the, is you physically giving, serving God in the manner that God designed. Your talent is you physically serving God in the manner that God has designed, not the way that you want to, but the way that God has created you. Each one of us has been given a, a specific talent, a gift, if you want to call it. Uh, we've been given something that God has uniquely designed us for to do. Jonah was to, to prophesy. Jonah was to be the mouthpiece of God. A Mine at this time is to, to be a pastor, a plant pastor. He's unique me, designed me to, to help build this church. You could take a pastor that just took over a church, and they couldn't do some of the things that I've done because they don't have the patience uh, to uniquely build a church. But then there's some people that uh, go up to pastor other churches that, I sure couldn't do it. I did it one time, and I'll never do it again. I'm I'm not going to interview with anybody to do what God has wanted me to do. It just didn't fit for me. So God has given us all the talent. Some of you are singers. Some of you are dancers. Some of you are poets. Some of you are artists. Some of you are musicians. Some of you are preachers. Some of you, you all have your unique talent. And the problem is that most of us are sitting on our talent instead of serving with it. We're sitting on what God has created us to do. Listen, your worship, your, your commitment to God doesn't mean that you have to be on this stage. You're just as valuable hugging somebody when they come through the door. Why? Because somebody didn't get a hug yesterday. Somebody don't have nobody to tell them that they love them. You're just as valuable as preparing a cup of coffee for somebody because they didn't have it to get it when they wanted to get it at the gas station. So to come and know that we have it available here, you're valuable serving in every different You're valuable cleaning the church. Don't nobody want to come and sit in no nasty chairs. Don't nobody want to come in and there's trash on the floor. All of us have our unique gift right. that we should be able to utilize and allow God to utilize as He's designed. Mm-hmm. But you know, the problem is that, that we're so busy pimping our gifts. Yeah. See, we'll use our gift for anybody that's going to pay us a check, yeah. we'll use our gifts. For any place, that's why most of us have nine to fives that, that specialize in our gift. Not even our degrees, but our gift. What we're, what we're good at because of the fact that they pay me for what I'm good at. Can't nobody pay you more than God. And the greatest thing about God, God is not limited to money. He's not limited to money to compensate you. There's, there's much more that God can do in your life if you show God that I'm doing this for you, not for the money. If I, if I do this to give you the glory, not for the people that, that praise me. If I do this to honor you, God wants to use your talent. God wanted to use Jonah to prophesy to the people. Not only did God want to use his talent, not only did God want to use his time, but he also wanted to use his treasure. What is your treasure? Your treasure is you physically sacrificing to God what you have for his desire. Whatever your treasure is, is what you you physically have to sacrifice what you have for his desire. You can't always use what's yours for you. It doesn't work out that way. It it, it doesn't balance out all the time. It it just doesn't happen. Sometimes what we got to realize is that what God does is he sows seeds into our lives. He gives us a seed. Some of the things that you have right now are just seeds. Uh, You can... Hold on to them or you can actually plant them. You can choose what you want to do. I want to make sure that you understand your time, your talent, and your treasures are all your physical seeds. But catch this. They're not only all your physical seeds. They're physical seeds that have the ability to unlock spiritual possibilities. Th- that, that, that's real good. That's major right there. That your time, your talent, and your treasure are just simply physical seeds that have the ability to unlock spiritual possibilities. That's major because what we do is that we look at what we have, and as a result of it, it's limited. It's it's just seeds. This This is all we have. What did Jonah do? He left the city, and he wanted to go sit outside of the city. Why? Because he wanted to watch instead of work. He wanted to spectate instead of participate. He, he, he didn't want to be used by God anymore. He did what God had asked him to do. He wanted to get on the sideline, sit on the bench. And, and the problem is that with that, what we have to understand is our physical seeds are limited. Our physical seeds are limited within our own possession. They're limited within our own possession, but if we place these seeds in God's possession, they become unlimited. If we place these seeds in God's possession... What we have that has limitation becomes something without limitation. I, I remember my, I used to be a big cartoon dude. I wanted to wake up every morning uh, and watch my cartoon with my bowl of cereal, the Apple Jacks, the real Apple Jacks back in the day, uh, and, and watch, my, watch my cartoons. And one of the cartoons was Jack and the Beanstalk. I love, don't laugh at my Jack and the Beanstalk. I, I, that, that was my cartoon. I, I love Jack and the Beanstalk. If you know anything about Jack and the Beanstalk, you know, what he did, he had a cow, his mom sent him to the market to sell the cow, and instead of selling the cow, he does what? He takes that cow and he gives it up for some seeds. He gives it up for some seeds, and, and these seeds, uh, when he got home, he showed them, and in, in one of the episodes, his mom got it, and she got upset and knocked them out of his hand and was like, they're just seeds. What are we going to do? What are we going to eat? We have nothing and the seeds were in her hand, and they were nothing. And they knocked the seeds out of her hand, and one of the seeds fell through the crack. It fell through the crack and somehow got into the soil. A couple of drops of water, they made this cartoon good, just fell, happened to fall on the seed that happened to fall through the crack that fell into the soil. And they went to sleep that night. There were other seeds that Jack had picked up. And Jack hand while he was asleep that night, Those seeds that were in his hand had done nothing. Those seeds were still seeds in his hand. But when Jack woke up that morning, because there was a seed that fell under his bed through the crack that somehow had a drop of water fall on the seed in the soil. When Jack woke up the next morning with seeds in his hand, he didn't think nothing of it. But Jack didn't realize that his bed was on top of a beanstalk. The seed that left his hand and that fell into the the fertile soil grew into something great. Y'all know the story about Jack. Once he got up there, he found all these valuable things up there. Y'all see how they took our Bible and twisted it all up in there. Uh, he even got up to the skies to the heavens and found all of these great things. And now he begins to bring things from the heaven where back to earth. He says, I'm going to bring something from heaven to feed my family. I'm going to make sure that everything, what what the Bible says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on, hef- on earth is loose in heaven. And so here it is. Jack is bringing stuff down from heaven. Listen, I don't know about y'all, but I need God to open up some windows of heaven and allow some things to flow down right now in my life but guess what has to happen you have to take the seeds that you have your time your talent and your treasure and you have to be able to sow them into fertile ground they're never going to be worth anything in your possession because they're limited do you know that real seeds don't last forever Most vegetable seeds only last five years. That's why sometimes when y'all want to start you all garden, y'all starting these new habits, y'all go to Walmart and grab some of them seeds and some of them grow, some of them don't grow. Most seeds don't last past five years. So that's why you can't produce anything. Imagine if your seeds had a date to expire within your hand. And you've been holding on some seeds that God told you to plant last week. And as a result of you not planting them last week, guess what happened? They've expired. And then when you finally go to try to plant it, nothing has happened. Or you're looking at that seed saying that something is supposed to come of this, but nothing is becoming of it. Why? Because you have not sowed it. This is not just about your money, your time, your talent, and your treasure. God wants to use you. You are a walking seed. Are you sowing? Are you planting yourself in fertile ground? Are you putting yourself in a position where you can be be watered over and over again, where you can experience what God wants you to experience? In order for you to reap whatever God has for you, you have to be willing to do it. God doesn't like Jonah's response. And so as a result of Jonah's response, God does something unique and different. Verse 6, verse 7 in verse 8, if y'all don't mind, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to try to get y'all out of here. But I, I want you to get this word because this is the it. This is, the, this is the icing on the cake. Jonah chapter 4 verse 6 says, So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So God gave him a plant Jonah got happy. Verse 7, but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that it, he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better than life. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Jonah, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry about the... to even to death. I want you to understand something. There's one word, and I've learned that anytime the Bible uses a word over and over within a particular part of text, it's something that you need to pay attention to. In verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8, God says something simple. The Bible says something simple. God appointed. Every time. Verse 6 says what? So the Lord, God, appointed. Verse 7, but God appointed. Verse 8, then the Son came up. God, uh, what? Appointed. It says it three times. God appointed. Why do we need to pay attention to this word God appointed? Because God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson. What does it mean when the Bible says that God appointed? It means that God is in control. God is in control. And so here it is. God is in control. And then he asks the question, do you have a reason to be angry? God is in control. Do you have a reason to be angry? God is in control of your marriage. Do you have a reason to be angry? God is in control of your job. Do you have a reason to be angry? God is in control of your church, your finances. Do you have a reason to be angry? Not if God is in control. The only way you can be angry if, is if God is not in control. And then you can't be angry with God, but you can be angry with yourself. God shows them in these three verses that he can only be angry if he's angry with himself. He shows them what? The first thing that he shows in verse 6, he does what? He creates a plant. What does God show? What does it show when we look at God being appointed? How does he control? The Bible shows us he controls it by God defies time. Out of nowhere, he creates a plant. Out of nowhere, God brings a plant into an existence. This is representing the seeds. If your time is a seed in your hand, you feel like you're wasting time. But when you put the seed of time into God's hand, God defies time. He's not limited by time. It takes several stages, and several days, several weeks, several months, even years for a plant to truly grow. And here it is. God says, "Look, as the sun is not good for Jonah, I want him to have shade." He does what? He creates. A plant. God defies time in that moment. There are some things that you're waiting on in your life to happen right now, but you're not giving it to God, and as a result of you're not giving it to God, God can't show you how he defies time. God is the author of time. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He put time in existence just so that we can have a timeline. That's why God did it. He said, here's the sun and here's the moon. Why? So you can know when it's day and you can know when it's night. The sun and the moon is not for God. It's for us. It gives us a timeline. So, what makes you think that you can limit God by your time? God, I better be married by 35. Or I ain't getting married. God, they better give me a raise by such and such. I'm leaving. Why do we put a timeline on what God is trying to do in our lives? Do you not realize that God is just waiting on you to do the one thing that He's looking for you to do so that He can release things in your life instantly? so that he can just make things happen. But the problem is that many of us won't do that one thing. And so it seems like eternity, but the problem is that you wasted time trying to figure out how to do what God can do instead of figuring out what is God asking me to do. God defies time. God goes on to a second principle. Not only will he defy time, but in verse 7, it shows us that God directs talent. He directs talent. How do we know that he directs talent? In verse 7, that's when he appoints who? The worm. What is the worm's responsibility? To eat up the plant. That's talent. You can only, the worm is the only one that can do that job. He didn't send an ant to do it. He appointed a worm. What type of worm? I don't know. But it was a worm that was designed to eat the plant. And as a result of it, the plant did what? Wither. Why did the plant wither? Because God wanted it to. Why did the plant wither? Because God wanted it to? Because we know he sent the worm. There will be things that die around you, but it's going to die. by Because God wants it to. Sometimes God has to remove a weed from your life because you're not smart enough to realize that it ain't a rose. That it's something that you have to get rid of so that God can produce more. Many of us are steady trying to pull miracle growth on things that God is steady trying to kill. He sends the worm. He utilizes the talent of the worm to destroy the plant. That means that If the worm is smart enough to allow his talent to be used for God's purpose, why can't we be smart enough to allow our talent to be used for God's purpose? Whatever God has created us to do, whatever it is that we can contribute so that we can make a difference, not only does it show us that he will handle all of that, but it goes on and it says that God defines treasure. We look at verse 8. Verse 8 says the sun comes up, and what happens? The east wind Comes through a scorching east wind. The sun beats down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged, what? That he could die. That's what he asked for. How is God defining treasure? Before all of this took place, that plant was just a plant. But now because of the situations and circumstances that are happening, that plant has value. That plant is a treasure. That plant is a worth something. See, many of us are walking around talking about what we have isn't enough. It has no value. It's not going to make a difference. I don't need to do this. I shouldn't do that. But the truth of the matter is God defines value, not you. God defines what's worth something, not you. Why are we wasting our time steady telling God what we think is worth something? Instead of accepting the fact that God has shown you a proof, many of us are not serving. Many of us are not sacrificing. Many of us are not doing what God is asking us to do because we feel like we're not worthy. We feel like we don't belong. We feel like we're not a part. But the truth is you feel that way because you are thinking it. Not because anybody else thinks it or not because God wants you in that position. God is always trying to include you. God has been trying to include you since the beginning. God has tried to include you since Jesus Christ came on the scene. This is the reason for Christ even having to come to include us, not separate us. There's already a gap. God is trying to to bring us into the fold, to bring us into the family, to make sure you know that you belong, to make sure you know that you can grow with this, to make sure you know that you're a part of this. But when you don't want it, you don't want it. One thing I learned about God, he's not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. His grace is to only give you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. But the Bible tells us to each of us is given a measure of grace. If God wanted to make you do it, he could make you do it, but God is not looking for a puppet. God is looking for a relationship with his people, for his people to love him, for his people to, to be dedicated to him, to grow with him. This is what God is looking for, which is, which is why I fall in love with verse 9 through 11 of this text as we close today. The Bible says, Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. Verse 10 goes on to say, Then the Lord said, You had compassion on a plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city? In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. When I read that passage, I come to understand one thing. And that one thing that I come to realize is that anger isn't an option when you've been appointed. When God has appointed you to a situation, when God has appointed you to a circumstance, anger is. Isn't an option? If God has appointed you to your marriage, if God has appointed you to your job, if God has appointed you to a church, a position, whatever it is, getting angry isn't an option. The only reason you're getting angry is because things aren't going the way that you want them to. But the catch that you have to understand, you didn't send yourself here. God did. Jonah was upset in Nineveh, and because he was upset, he positioned himself outside of the city, outside of the realm where God was reigning blessings, where God was showing grace and mercy, and he positioned himself outside of the city, complaining about what was going inside of the city. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be outside when God is calling me on the inside when God is working something in a place that he's directed me to, and because of my own frustrations, because of my own depression, because of my own confusion, that I get to a point where I'm so angry with God that I would wish for yesterday's life than today's. This is the life God has given us. We have to make the choices that he wants us to make. We have to be dedicated to the process no matter what it is that we're going through. Because in the end, if we can stay in the place that God has called us. Remember, Nineveh was a great city. It was one of the greatest cities of all time. It had everything that anyone could possibly ever need. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to call me to greatness. And I look greatness in the face. And I turn and walk away. Simply because it doesn't look like what I wanted it to look like. God is calling us to greater. And you can't go into greater being frustrated. You can't go into greater being depressed. You can't go into greater being confused. And anger is not going to let you in. You have to go into greater with faith that God has called you here. Faith that this is what God wants you to do. And if you can apply that principle of faith and love and peace and hope all to every relationship of your life you don't have to worry about being emotional wreck you don't have to worry about the ups and the downs because the only thing that you wake up believing is that lord i walk by faith and not by sight so i don't care what things look like on the outside god i know that you're doing something on the inside you're mixing this thing up, you're turning this thing around, and people can say whatever they want to say right now, but I know through the midst of the storm, while I'm in the belly of this fish, I am simply going to pray like I've never praised before. I'm going to praise like I've never praised before, because I know, Lord, every time I praise you, a breakthrough is coming. Every time I pray, God, you're ready to deliver me from the snares of my enemy. Your word says that you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, I know that if you decided to anoint my head with all that you have called and blessed me God so as a result of it I'm going to be committed and dedicated to living for you this is what God is asking us to do we have to make the decision if it's what we want to do father God we come before you right now thank you for all the things that you've done for us thank you for the obstacles that you have allowed us to overcome thank you for but for thinking so much of us that you allowed your word just to talk about our emotions because you knew how unstable this flesh was. You knew how unstable our minds could be and you knew that the mind was the only thing that the enemy could use against us to turn against you. So God, right now, we take back control of our mind by submitting our mind unto you. Father God, let not our thoughts Be our own, but Father God, let them be your thoughts. Let not our ways be our own, but Father God, let them be our ways. Today, we commit to giving you our time, our talent, and our treasure. Because God, we don't want to be walking around with a bunch of seeds just to show them off. Father God, we want those seeds to turn into plants because we know when our seeds turn into plants, they bear fruit. And from fruit come more seeds. Father God, we don't want to sell it for a tree when you're trying to give us an orchard. So, God, we walk by faith and not by sight. And, Lord, we give you all of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said? Amen. 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 Listen, I want to give you the opportunity.